Good morning, church. My name is Lisa Rodriguez Watson, and I'm the Associate Pastor of Discipleship and Equipping here at Christ City Church. I'm delighted to get to bring the message this morning, and just like the 50-some-odd Sundays previous to this one, dang, I sure wish we were together. This has been a week. Uh, Justin has already mentioned that. Before I jump into the sermon, I want to acknowledge how the heaviness of this week's gun violence and police brutality may be intersecting us in different ways. And, and truth be told, Justin has already done a good bit of this, and I promise you we didn't coordinate it. It's just the way God works, and it must be what we need to hear today. For those of us who need space to lament again and grieve, I see you. I stand with you. Your desperation is my desperation. Because of that, I cannot overlook your sorrow for the sake of my comfort. I share your pain. I honor your lament and your grief is safe here. You are held by the Most High who has heard your cries and who has drawn near to be present with you as you lament again. Your lament is a holy act before a holy God and I hold space for you today. And not all of us are in a space of lament this morning. Though we are weary of the heavy lament of this year and this week, some of us need a space for joy, to be reminded of the joy of our salvation, of the worthiness of, of an excellent God who has come and is coming to make all things new, we are choosing joy today, not out of our ignorance of the tragedies of this year or this week of our country and of our world, but in spite of them, because joy is also resistance. Mm -hmm. I see in your actions and in your attitude that ain't nobody gonna turn you around. I hear your freedom song. I see you, sisters and brothers. I honor your persistence and your resistance as you come with joy, seeking joy and sharing joy through the fullness of the Holy Spirit who is joy and peace and faithfulness. Your joy is a holy act before a holy God and I hold space for you today. We are a body, beloved. And we come together with different needs and different strengths, as Nikki mentioned. We can live in the tension of lament and praise, of joy and sorrow, of things that are opposite, but seem present at the same time, and they are rightly present at the same time. Our God is big enough for the complexity, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are capable of embodying solidarity with one another through the power of the Spirit in times like these. This is what it means to be the church. I see you, I am with you. We are with one another as the church and most importantly, we worship a God who is with us and for us. And I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Okay. Now, I think I got a sermon to preach. <laughs> Y'all ready? Good. We've been in a sermon series uh, called Learning to Pray. We've been exploring the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father 
And we've been considering Jesus' invitation and instruction to us through this prayer. Last week, Reverend Tisha did a marvelous job teaching us about the radical forgiveness we receive and extend to others. Today, we'll be digging into the phrase, do not bring us into times of trial, or the more traditional phrasing, lead us not into temptation. There are a number of things we could focus on related to this phrase, but what I'm gonna center us on today is this. What does it mean for us to pray, do not bring us into times of trial? The interesting thing about interpreting what this means is the word trial is also translated as temptation or testing. The Greek word is perasmos. I probably didn't say that right, but that's okay. The challenge we find in this prayer, do not bring us into times of trial, is that we know we will be brought into times of trial. Jesus was brought into times of trial again and, and again during his life on earth. So what does it mean to pray this? Let's take a look at our first scripture, Matthew 3, 16 to 4, 1. We jump into the story where Jesus is getting ready to start his formal ministry and do the work that God has purposed for him on the earth. The reconciling, healing, restoring, table-turning, truth-telling, resisting, renewing, justice and peacemaking, rescuing and redeeming work. That is the work he is about to do and he's just gotten baptized by John the Baptist. The scripture says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After a powerful moment of love and affirmation from the Father, Jesus was led into the, into the wilderness by the Spirit to be perasmos, tested, tempted, tried. Two critical things to notice as we try to understand the bigger question of what it means to pray, do not bring us into times of trial. The first thing is, who led Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Second thing, who did the tempting? Translation after translation makes clear that Jesus was tested by the devil. And while God allowed and even led Jesus to be tempted, God did not tempt Jesus. Satan tempted Jesus. Does God lead us into times of testing and temptation? God does allow it, yes. Does God actually do the tempting, try to deceive us with lies and half-truths to cause us to stumble? No, that is the work of the deceiver, the enemy of our souls. The second passage of scripture for us to consider is, is in James chapter 1. It presents another look at perasmos, the same exact word, testing, trial, and temptation. Interestingly, though, we're instructed on how to think and feel about testing in this passage, and on the surface, it's quite a departure from what Jesus' instruction to pray that we not be led into times of trial. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that, you're testing, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Again, we can clearly see that God is not the one who is doing the tempting, and we're encouraged to consider our times of trial an occasion for joy. So if trials are good for us and we're blessed by them and should consider them pure joy, then what does it mean that Jesus tells us to pray to not be brought into times of trial? God led Jesus into a time of testing, led Abraham and Isaac into a time of testing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace of testing, allowed Job to be tested through immense suffering. Since God clearly allows temptation and testing, and we're even to consider times of trial pure joy, then why should we pray to not be brought into times of trial? What does Jesus mean? There are four things I think we can understand about the meaning of this petition in the Lord's Prayer. First and foremost, and primarily, it is a prayer of protection. There are times where we will be protected from the trial, and there are times we will be protected in the trial. In both circumstances, we pray this prayer as a prayer of protection. Over the years, I've gone with the kids to some nearby rivers and creeks. About a year and a half ago, we were up at Susquehanna State Park camping for Labor Day weekend. We wanted to play in the water, so we walked over to the Susquehanna River. I immediately noticed there was no one else playing on the riverbanks, which was odd since it was a warm holiday weekend. Now, I'm familiar with a particular spot on that river since I've driven over it dozens of times. The Conowingo Dam spans the wide Susquehanna and provides power to the region. I've driven that road above the dam each time I've visited my sister in Pennsylvania. So on that day that we were there, we were about a half mile downriver from the dam. The water was super shallow, um, and the kids walked through knee-deep water over all of the rocks, and there was this little island out in the middle, and they kept saying, Mom, can we go to the island? And I said, no, that's way too far. They were 100, 200 yards out um, and just exploring. While they explored and played, Matthew and I sat on large rocks along the water's edge. As we talked, I began to notice the water rising on the rocks underneath and around us. So we started shouting to the kids to hurry back to us, and I waited nervously um, as I urged them while trying to not send them into an utter panic, which was my sort of emotional state. The river was rising, and it would have easily overwhelmed and carried my children away if they hadn't gotten out. The river had the power to destroy my children, and they needed protection from it. 
When we pray, do not bring us into times of trial. We are praying, keep me out of the river that will overpower and carry me away. Be my protector. Don't ever let me get into a situation that will ruin me. Keep me out of circumstances and relationships that will be too much for me. God, I don't want to be overwhelmed and carried away from you. Keep me out of the river. There was another time several years ago. I was with the kids one Sunday afternoon, and Carolyn and Asher the dog were with us. And we went over to Sherlington Dog Park to give the kids and Asher a chance to play in the four-mile run stream. It was a warm spring day, and the creek was packed with dogs and people. We wanted to stay away from the chaos, so we found a quieter spot downstream where there was less splashing and barking. The boys and Asher quickly took to the water, and Annalise was young, so I stayed with her and I held her hands as we walked into the stream. One of the boys noticed and brought to my attention a snake in the water. I'm no snake expert, but I know that there are harmful snakes and not harmful snakes. I don't like any of them, to be clear. But I know that not all of them will hurt or kill you. I walked over to where they saw the snake, and I took a look at it, and it didn't have that obvious triangle head that indicates a venomous snake. Still, I tried to Google it and see if it was dangerous, and it swam off, and it seemed harmless enough, so I let the kids go back in the water. Vigilant and nervous mom that I am, I was scanning the water constantly to be sure there were no more snakes. Then I saw them, whole tangle of them in the middle of the stream. They seemed young and uninterested in the kids, which was fine enough, but we didn't need a situation on our hands, so Carolyn and I decided to leave that part of the river and head up to where the other dogs and dog owners were playing. The kids and Asher played for a while longer without incident. That river was different. It wasn't going to overwhelm my kids and carry them away. They needed protection in the river, not from the river. I was with them. I was protecting them. I did not take them out of the river. I protected them in it. When we pray, do not bring us into times of trial. It doesn't just mean praying to be kept out of the trial. We are also praying that God would protect us in the midst of the trials and temptations that we know we will face. Jesus, when praying for his disciples in John, prayed, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. We are going to be tested and tempted, and so we pray for God's protection. The testing of our faith produces perseverance, James tells us, and perseverance results in maturity. We know that someday there's going to be a crown of life, but we also know there's a wilderness of temptation between here and there. Trials can bring us to the thinnest edges of our faith, so we pray for protection. What we are saying is, Lord, keep these things, these tests that mature me. Keep these things to be tests that mature me. And don't let them become temptations that consume me. When we pray, do not bring us into times of trial. We are praying for protection. Whether in the trial or from the trial, it is about being protected.
Now, along with praying for protection, we have got to remember to pray with power. We're just a couple of weeks removed from Easter where we celebrated Jesus' resurrection and defeat of death. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is alive and at work in us and for us. When we pray for protection, we can pray with power and confidence that God hears our prayers and will come through for us. Romans 8 from the message paraphrase reminds us of this powerful truth. It says, those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition, exposing himself to the world by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly do freely for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Because of the resurrection, we are free from sins and death's tyranny, sin and death's tyranny. We have the power and victory because of Jesus' victory. And he is right there at the throne on our behalf, interceding for us in the midst of our trials and tribulations. Even when we don't know what to pray, the work is being done for us. The Holy Spirit uses words that we don't even have to advocate for us. What are you facing that you need victory over today? What trial has been weighing you down? What temptation do you consistently face that you just can't seem to shake? Is it doubt? Do you struggle to believe that God will come through for you or that God's kingdom is coming and all things will be made new? Or maybe you're not sure if God is even real. Or maybe it's an addiction to food or porn or pills or alcohol. Maybe you're captive to the tyranny of what others think and no matter how hard you try to please everyone, you have nearly lost yourself in the process. Are you overwhelmed with envy or hate or bitterness? Whatever trial you are facing, as you pray for protection, church, let me remind you to pray with the resurrection power that is already alive and at work within you. It's not magic. It won't make all your troubles go away in, the fla in a flash, but the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world, and the battle is already won. Victory is ours. So when we pray, we're going to pray with power. This next point has to be a short one, but it's important so I can't skip it. And the prayer, do, do not bring us into times of trial, uses a plural noun, us. This is a communal prayer. We've noted this in previous sermons, but it's good to point out again. As we pray for protection, as we pray in power, we need to be praying for people, for each other. We are a body and we belong to one another. 
whether we are praying for our brothers and sisters in Myanmar or Minneapolis, Hong Kong or Indianapolis, we are to pray that we are not led into temptation. Our vision has to be, it gets to be bigger than ourselves. Truth is sometimes you or I don't have what it takes to fight the next fight, to win the next trial on our own. Remember the paralytic whose friends tore open the roof of the house where Jesus was healing the people? Remember that it was the faith of the friends that healed that man, not his own faith. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, it's us. We're praying not just for ourselves, but for one another, for us. Who can you pray for this week that is going through a time of trial? How can you have their back in their struggle? This prayer is not an individual prayer, it's a communal prayer, so let's pray for each other. And finally, we pray for God to come through on God's promises. Drea taught us at the beginning of the series what it means to pray, hallowed be thy name. In praying this, we're asking God to uphold the holiness of God's name. Throughout the scriptures, God has numerous names. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Elohe Makarov, God who is near. Jehovah Mashi, the Lord my refuge. Jehovah Motsi, the Lord my fortress. Jehovah Ori, the Lord is my light. Jehovah Mafalti, the Lord my deliverer. And that is just to name a few. When we face trials and temptations, we can ask God to uphold the holiness of God's name, to make good on his promises of who he is, our fortress, our light, our refuge, our provider, our deliverer. When we do this, we're reminded of the goodness of God, of his matchless saving name, of the greatness of the great I am. God is enough for any trial or temptation we face. And when we are in the thick of it, this can be a source of confidence, of power, and of strength as we pray. I wish that every time we pray, do not bring us into times of trial, it would mean that we'd be spared from trials and testing. We know that's not how it works or what it means, but still we pray, do not bring us into times of trial. And in that, we pray for protection and we pray with power, and we pray for people, and we pray God's promises. To close out our time this morning, I wanna invite you to consider a spiritual practice for the week. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, the way he resisted was by reciting scripture. They were verses he had memorized at some point in his past, and they helped him to overcome the temptation that he was facing. Scripture, is powerful and when we memorize it it becomes the tool we need to respond faithfully in trying circumstances so this week i invite you to memorize james 1 2 through 4 or romans 8 26 to 28 or maybe both start start with one of them and commit it to memory as a responsive spiritual practice for the week now if you joined us today and you're still figuring out who Jesus is and what it might mean to follow him, I am really glad you joined us. I invite you to reach out to me or one of the other pastors this week and let us know how we can support your journey towards Jesus. We'll be happy to pray for you and talk through your questions. You can reach out to us 
at the main email for the church, and that's going to be dropped in the chat. Thanks again for being here. Let me close this with a word of prayer. God, you are good. You are holy. And we are, we are pleased to worship you. And God, we face trials of many kinds in this life. And we know that you can be trusted even in the midst of them. And God, we have no idea what trials you have protected us from. God, we pray this morning that you would root your word deep in our hearts. We thank you, Jesus, that you give us power to overcome. We thank you, Jesus, that we are part of a body and that we get to have one another's back. And we know, God, that you will make good on your promises of who you are. We remember this morning your goodness and your grace to us. We pray this week for one another, for, for our brothers and sisters who are in times of trial, for ourselves, because we too go through times of trial. Give us victory. Remind us of our victory. Yes. We love you, Jesus. We're grateful for your good work on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.